Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Is named after a dude named James. James uh, is an interesting guy. Uh, He is a guy who speaks very, very directly. And the way James speaks has us kind of shook at times and has us responding. Yeah, see, if it's your first week here, we practiced this last week, we'll do this every week, and throughout the message. A lot of people say amen and hallelujah, and you go, go, you go, pasta. Uh, But in this series, it is, nobody ever goes, you go, pasta. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But in this series, it is? Dang, James. Dang, James. So feel free as you as I, I, I share God's word today. If something gets you. Dang, James. That's okay. You can just let it come out and just join the party. All right, everybody. But but the way James speaks, the reason that he speaks so clearly, he speaks like a person who is convinced. You ever talk to somebody like that that feel like they're being a little short? They feel like they might even be being a little curt and a little rude. What it is is that they are convinced that there is no other way. And therefore, they just speak directly. No reason to hem and haw about it. Here's the truth. This is what it is. You can have your feelings if you want to, but this is truth. And he speaks very directly and plainly, and it gets all up in our business. And we go, dang, James. And here's why he was convinced. Because James, yes, he was a pastor of one of the first churches uh, in Jerusalem because Christianity started in Jerusalem. And and we say a church, it wasn't a building like this. The church is the people, by the way. It's not the building. It never has been. It's the people. And he pastored those people. And yes, that's important to know. But what's most important about James and why James was so convinced about the word of God is simply because James was the brother of Jesus. That's right. He knew Jesus way before he was Jesus the Christ. Now, Jesus has always been the Messiah, but Jesus, before he, his public ministry, before he stepped into this, onto the scene and people began to find out who he was, James saw him as a kid. Jesus was his older brother, his older half-brother. And he saw him interact with his brothers and sisters, interact with mom. He saw him at school. He saw him on the playground. He saw him in the community. He saw him at work. He saw him in all these environments. And if anybody could speak to the validity of who you really are, it's one of your siblings. Right? Because they know you. They know you behind the scenes. They know it when you're blaming and complaining and defending. They know when your attitude is poor. They have seen the worst of you. James... He saw Jesus, and he never saw the worst because Jesus lived a life where he was tempted, but he lived without sin. And so James, when when Jesus lives his life, he dies, he's resurrected from the dead. This guy is convinced. He spent his entire life exploring who Jesus was, and he speaks with such authority. He speaks with such clarity and such bluntness. And that's why he writes the way he does, I believe. And so last week, we opened up the book of James, this letter to this church, who, by the way, he writes it to the church because the early church was being persecuted. They were being thrown in jail. They were being beaten. And some of them were even being killed. And they were scattered as a result of the persecution, no longer able to gather in, in, in one place, kind of like we do. They gathered in homes, and they would also gather at the temple. They couldn't do that anymore. They couldn't have their their grow group on Tuesday nights 
because somebody who knew they were meeting there was going to knock on the door and drag them away. So they scattered, scattered to other provinces, other countries. And James is writing this letter to them, and he starts off his message with them going, hey, guys, talking about trials and, and tribulations. And he says, count it all joy when the ice cream truck comes rolling down the road. No. Count it all joy when that golden retriever just wants to play with you. No. Yes. But no. It's not what James said. He said, count it all joy when trials and tribulations come. Most of us, we're excited and are joyful when trials and tribulations go, when they're finished. And James says, speak something to this group. He says, hey, persecution's coming, and you can go ahead, and on the front side of whatever trial and tribulation you're going through, it's all joy, because that means God's at work. And then James, thank you, and then James, <laughs> and then James goes, that guy understood the assignment. Um, anyway, <laughs> James goes on and says, you can't go through trials without a temptation coming along because what happens in the midst of a trial is we are tempted to escape that trial through some form of acting out or some way to numb that pain, and it's called temptation to sin. And he says, hey, you can beat temptation too. God will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. So the trial's gonna come. You're gonna be tempted to act out and to miss God's best for your life. Or you can survive that temptation. And so he gives us a pathway to do that and how to survive our trials and our temptation. And what I'm going to do today is pick up where we left off last week. And what I'm going to do today, I'm going to read the whole, the whole section of verses that I'm going to cover today, okay? So it's just the remainder of chapter 1. It's just 12 verses. But it starts off at James 1, verse 16. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to explain it line by line. And we'll cover it. Uh, and, and there's some deep stuff in here today that I think you're really going to enjoy. So James 1, 16 starts off. It says, don't be deceived. Pause. When James says this and Paul says this as well, the reason he's telling you don't be deceived is because there's an opportunity to be deceived. You have a choice ahead of you about what is getting ready to happen. You can choose deception or you can choose to stand on some truth. And James is saying, hey, what I'm getting ready to talk about, it is possible that this is an area in your life that you lack clarity on, that you don't understand. And because you don't see it correctly, you've mis and misunderstood you're acting incorrectly. You're responding inappropriately or you're responding to what you think you understand, but it's just not clear. This happened to me. It's kind of a funny story. Years ago, we were driving down the road, and I was talking to my wife. The kids were all in the back seat. This is how you know it's been a long time. My kids are all grown now, and uh, they're sitting in the back seat, and I was talking to my wife, and I said, do you smell that? It smells like gas, and, and we're talking, and I hear, I hear giggles from the back seat. <laughs> no, and they're laughing. I said, what are you guys laughing at? They're laughing at what you said. What, it smells like gas? <laughs> they're laughing some more. See, what I didn't realize and what they didn't realize is I was saying it smells like G-A-S. But when you put that K and that G together, it smells like gas, and they thought I was saying something else. <laughs> I will not explain anymore. I said, all I, they said, Dad, did you say it smells like gas? Yeah, it smells like gas. And the laughing went back and forth. There was some clarity that was needed. 
Oh, daddy saying a bad word. <laughs> there was some clarity that was needed to understand what was going on because the response to what I said was not what I expected. I was smelling like a gas leak and they were, thought I was smelling something else. So anyway, um, we need clarity and James is saying, don't be deceived. My brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, which by the way, you need to understand that God doesn't do anything bad. God doesn't do bad things. He gave us his son, Jesus, and Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. That means a full and fulfilled life. That's a good thing God has for us. The devil is the one who steals, who kills, and who destroys. He's the bad guy, Billie Eilish. Duh. So that <laughs> hit the target market right there. That was intentional. We got to have that clear in our hearts and our minds. That God is good and the devil is bad. God is good and the devil is bad. So he says, these things coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And I love that because God is always good. He does not change. Unlike shadows that shift, he said he chose to give birth to us through the word of truth. Now this word of truth is our focus today because he talks about it five different times. I'll point it out to you as we go. So there's number one, birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word, There's the, uh, that's the second time, planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, third time, and so be deceived yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, fourth time, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that's another phrasing for the word, that's the fifth time, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So five times he mentions the power of God in this little section of verses. And what he says is that there is a blessing that is connected to our attitude towards God's word. He says, those who consider themselves righteous and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Dang, James. We're going to talk about the tongue uh, in chapter 3. James goes on a, a long rant, and you're just absolutely going to love that, and we'll get to that. So I'm not going to talk more about that today, but we'll get to that here in a couple weeks. But as he wraps up this, this chapter, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, James' warning is don't be deceived about the power of God's word in your life. Because God's word, our Bible, is important. It has the power to transform your life and anchor you in the midst of the storms of your life. You need to read it. You need to know it. You need to pray it. You need to believe it. It must become the foundation for our lives. But Christianity's got a problem. We got a big problem. The problem is that the number one area of satanic assault today is on God's word, the Bible. In fact, you'll see it all across any of the places you are paying attention to, your social media platforms. Everywhere you turn, there is a regular onslaught, an attack on God's word to get you to doubt it, to doubt that it's true. In fact, I, if you go on to TikTok and you swipe over to the live version of TikTok, there are three major topics that will always be discussed 
on repeat. I mean, you can swipe as much as you want, and you're going to find these three things over and over and over again in between all the get ready with me's and all, all the little ASMR things. I don't get it. I swipe faster than you, than you know. What is that? Now they're all acting like little AI bots and stuff. Have y'all seen that? It is nuts. Anyway, sorry. Three topics that are regularly talked about on these social media platforms, sexuality and gender issues, politics, and the Bible. There are streamers regularly spewing rhetoric and lies about the Bible, and sometimes they'll do all three in one thing. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it is what they want to do. But in a world where most of our thoughts are influenced by these kind of platforms, I'm concerned. That's why I keep telling you, get off social media. It is polluting you. Get off. Shut it down. If, if anything, just limit it, please. Especially for your kids. Enough said. It's not my message today. You can say that to me because I'm a James too, and I'll take it. But it's in our news media, it's in our publications, our books, it's in our school systems. There's all an all-out assault on the word of God to either have it removed or to have you doubt it. Well, we can leave it intact, but we're just going to put it up here alongside other stories like Peter Pan and Harry Potter. It's fiction. They don't want you to believe it. Their goal of the enemy is to make your foundation weak, to give you a foundation that is built upon falsehoods. Because if you stand on a weak foundation, you can be taken out easier. That when the storms of life come, it will crush you. And that's the enemy's job, to steal, kill, destroy. He wants to take you out. Because contrary to popular belief, the devil, he's all bad, but he ain't stupid. Thank you, Aaron. He's not stupid. He's got a plan. And he's been executing that plan since the very very beginning of time. His goal is to make your foundation weak so that you have a falsehood or a a false foundation to stand upon. And when you stand upon that foundation, you will make different decisions for your life and you will sin. Sin. Ooh, I don't like that word. It's kind of icky, Aaron. No, I don't like it. Here's what sin is. It's missing the mark of God's best for your life. God's your creator. He knows what's best for you. And he's got a mark for you. He's got a a level that he wants you to be at. He has certain behaviors. He's got certain attitudes. He's got a life for you that he intended for you, and it's good. And when we live in any way that is in opposition to it, it is sin. And sin separates us from a holy God, and it also brings death in every area of our lives. That's what the enemy wants. And the devil has been doing this since the beginning deceiving us and trying to get us to doubt God's word since the very first story in your Bible, in Genesis 3, in the Garden of Eden, the very first time Satan shows up, the first thing out of his mouth to Eve in Genesis 3.1 is, did God really say that? Just throwing some shade on God's word. Did he really say that? Because I'm not sure He say you shouldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Like, you sure that's the one you can't have? This is his most urgent, his most preeminent task, is to get you to doubt God's word. It's the first thing he did, 
and it's the thing he's continued to do. Throughout history and in our lives, he continues to get us to question God's word. You'll hear people talk about the inaccuracies in God's word. You'll, get, you'll hear people say, well, you know, the Bible, it's just been translated too many times. Do you understand what translation means? Do you understand how language shifts over time? And that, yes, the King James Version, that was a great translation in the 1600s when everybody talked that way with a these, thous, and thines. But we don't talk that way anymore, and it makes the Bible very distant from us and unobtainable, and un- we don't understand it. So another translation was necessary. But another translation does not mean that God's word changed. The words may have changed so that we understand it in today's culture and context. That's what a translator does. They take something that was written in this language and say it so that you can understand it. And if they're talking to thee, thou, thine kind of language, you don't understand that. So they use words that are modern that we understand that still express the heart and the intent of the scriptures. Well, they tell you, no, they've just translated it too many times, and it just keeps changing. No. Eh, wrong. They'll tell you there's contradictions. And they'll tell you that the stories like Jonah and Jesus raising from the dead or being born a virgin, that these are just impossible stories. What's the difference between a Marvel and a DC story and the stories found in the Bible? They want you to, believe, to doubt it. They want you to believe that it's not helpful for your life, and it's a lie. God's Word is the single most important book you will ever read. Because there's life in it. You need it for every single part of your life. You have to have it. But as a result of this deception, we've got a whole generation of Christians who have become what I call salad bar Christians. I didn't coin that term, but I love it. Salad bar Christians. Anybody anybody been to a salad bar? I know they're not widely popular anymore, but a buffet. You go there, and you get to pick and choose what you like and you don't like. I used to go, and before I was allowed to eat any of the chicken wings or any of the ice cream and the stuff that I liked on the salad bar, my mom made me make a salad. And I would do that. I would start with lettuce, and then I'd get some croutons, <laughs> and then some pepperoni and some bacon and some cheese. I mean, the only thing it was missing was some tomato paste before it was a pizza. <laughs> and I ate it completely dry because I'm a savage. Dang, James. I've grown up a little bit. I'll eat a vinaigrette. But anyway. (laughs) None of it was healthy for me. That's just how Christians live their lives. We look at God's word and we pick and choose what we want. We go, that's good. I like that. I don't like that. Or that doesn't apply to me because it's inconvenient to what I want. Or, you know, well, it worked for them, but it doesn't really work for me, so I'm going to keep doing it my way. Or, and, and here's the result of that kind of stuff. What we've got is, is a whole brand of Christianity that is diametrically opposed to each other. And we've got people that say, well, Pastor so-and-so says that God is love. And I understand love through sexuality, so love is sex. And if God is love and love is sex, then sex is God. And so that means I'm going to sleep with anybody that I want to, any way that I want to, any time that I want to. See what happens when your foundation is false? Dang, James. Dang, James. <laughs> they follow their feelings way too much. But the truth is our feelings cannot be trusted. We cannot trust them. You say, well, God wants me happy. No, he doesn't. God wants you holy. Yeah. <laughs> Told you this is going to get you. I'm going to preach today, and I don't care. We're going for it. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself because God's word is true. And in Proverbs 16, it says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to 
death. There's a way that feels right. What I challenge you to do is that way that you think is right, that feels right, find me somebody that's been living it for a decade. Find me somebody that's been living that for a certain amount of time. See if it has led to life or see if it's led to death. You say, well, everybody's going to die, Pastor Aaron. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about death in every area of your life. Come on, tell me. Just because they're following their feelings and they're celebrating it right now, tell me how that has complicated their life and brought death. Or show me where it's brought life. Because if it hasn't, they might be deceived. And you might be too. And if you're going to go do that, I'll be right here. I'll keep the light on for you because you'll be back. You'll be back. What you'll find is that those ways are connected to death. God's ways will always lead to life. And you can find that way in his word, the Bible. And James is clear. We need to understand how to stand in trials and temptations. But the next thing that we've got to do, which is our focus for today, is to adjust our attitude towards God's word. And here's what James is asking you today, is what is going to be the basis for how you live your life? Is it going to be the world or is it going to be the word? What's your choice here? King David wrote in the longest chapter in the Bible, it's 176 verses, Psalms 119. Uh, he's writing this, and it's in God's word, and it's interesting, the longest chapter is about God's word. David said, my soul is weak from waiting for you to save me. My hope is based on your word. David's saying, I'm anchored. I've anchored myself to God's word, and therefore I'm weathering the storm. I'm going through a mess, but God is my foundation, and so I'm hoping. I'm waiting on him. We can all use that in your lives. I want that for you, and I know God wants that for you too. That in times of crisis, in times of trials, being anchored to God's word is priority. The problem is, is that too many of you don't lean in and anchor yourself to, God, to God's word until you get into the midst of a crisis and a problem. And I'm going to tell you, it is way easier to get anchored before the storm comes than to try to do it in the middle of the storm. I'm talking to somebody today. That's all right. You need to be anchored before you get there. That's how you remain anchored. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock, a firm foundation, an anchor. He said, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, and the rock is him, God's word. It's the word. Now, I love my Bible. I don't know if you can tell that about me or not, but I love it. I love to talk about it. I'll get coffee and talk about it with you all day long. Let's do it. I like listening to theologians talk about it, pastors talk about it. I like turning, tuning into podcasts, reading commentaries, study Bibles. I like it all. I heart my Bible. I do. Truth is, I want you to love it too. More importantly, I want you to believe it. I want you to believe that it's, that, that it's good, that it's for you, that, that what's in there is for you today. And it's not just a book. I need you to understand that the Bible is an expression of God. It is him expressing himself, and he's putting himself out there, and he's put himself on a page for us to read. He's put himself out there for us to interact with, to pray through. He's put himself there on those pages. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God's word is an expression of himself, and by his words, worlds were created, and the universe was formed, and time was set in motion, because God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. When God speaks, things change. His word is powerful. And we have it. We have it right here at our fingertips. One of the freest countries in the world. And we have, we have this. We have it freely available to us, digitally and in print. You can find these things everywhere. Go into a hotel. You'll find it in a drawer most more often than not. And if you find one that's inscribed from Jesus, it was probably me. I do that. All the best. Jesus Christ. I sign it. I want him to have an autographed copy. But, you know, because, hey, listen, Bible tells me I am the body of Christ, okay? So just... Dang, James. We have access to this, to this life-changing word, and yet very few of us pick it up. Very few of us look into it. Very few of us take the time to apply it to our lives, to begin to live out its principles and see that what God has for us is good. It makes me sad. I love my Bible. I spend time with it every day. I look forward to that time just to connect, and connect with God, to see what he has to say to me. Now, I'm not a one Bible kind of guy. There are some pastors, they've had a Bible for 20, 30 years, the full length of their ministry. I like to get a new Bible every year. And I'll go through a reading plan, and I read that Bible for the whole year, and every time God speaks to me, I'll write in it. And I've got stacks and stacks of Bibles, different translations, study Bibles. The Bible I'm, I'm reading through right now is, a, is a, uh, the Maxwell Leadership Bible because I've been working on my leadership and growing in that area. And so what it does is that it pulls leadership lessons from the Scripture, and they put it right there in the text for you so that you can see how leaders behave badly oftentimes and rightly. But there are these different, different kinds of Bibles, and I love them, and I collect them. I, I'm, I'm hoping that someday when I'm dead and gone that my kids cherish those Bibles. Because they, they will see the journey that I've been on and how God has been on moving in my life and what he said to me, and they can learn those lessons as well. I love my Bible. My goal today, sole goal, is to help you love your Bible today. That's what I want to do. And James gives us three attitudes that are so important for us that we have to adopt in order to love God's word. He starts off by saying, don't be deceived. These three attitudes are crucial, and here they are. The first one is, if you're taking notes, gratefully receive the truth that saves me. That's an attitude, right? We need to be grateful for it. Because in the pages of that Bible is the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is the thing that leads us to salvation. It's why we're all here. We've placed our faith in him. It's God's story of love for us. It's his expression of that love. It's a sacrificial story. It tells the story of a God who did for us what no other God has ever done laid down his rights, his privileges, left glory, left heaven, humbled himself, was born as a man. Well, baby. Lived a humble life. Laid his life down and died and rose from the dead. No other God did that for you to pay the price for your sins so that you could be reconciled, redeemed, saved. But our God did. And that's all in the pages of this book. And we need to gratefully receive that truth to be saved. James says to us in uh, verse 16, Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. The gift of salvation is good and it's perfect. It's from God. And it's not an invitation to what people think Christianity is all about. They think that Christianity is boring, that it's restrictive, it's ritualistic, that it, heaven awaits you, but you're going to hate the journey, that that, that, you know what, you're going to be bored, and, and that's just not true. 
Everything that God has for you is good. Most of us, I think that, that you would think that church and a relationship with God is more about the afterlife. That, man, when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, what a day will be. Yeah, you know the words. I don't, apparently. Thought I did when I started singing it. <laughs> it's all about rejoicing when we get to heaven, but we can rejoice now. There's joy to be experienced here on this earth. It's not about having no fun, no life, dreary and dull. Some of you think that because the Christians that you meet have forgotten how to smile. It's like, don't you have Jesus in your heart? You might be going through something right now, but can't you smile just a little bit? Not even on Sunday morning when you're singing his praises? Dang, dang. Christians look like the most bored people, the most they're, they're dull and dried up, and you're just like, I don't want any of that. You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? You've met some of them. <sighs> Serving God is not a duty. It is a delight. It's a delight. I'm trying to help you get your minds right about who God is and what he has for you. Because knowing God is to be the best part of your life, not the worst part. And that's what James is getting at. He goes on and he talks about, about the, the good things coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth, which he's talking about being born again. That's the term that we use. When Jesus was talking to one of the Pharisees, he said, you've got to be born again. He's like, am I supposed to be like enter my mom's womb? No, it's being born of the Spirit. That, that when we place our faith in God, we are born again. The old us is dead and gone. The new has come. This new life, we're new creations in Christ. He says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, which is your Bible that leads us to Jesus, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now the Bible contains the truth that leads us to salvation. Paul said it simply here in Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing. In other words, the faith that you've had to place it in Christ, it came because you heard about him. Whether you heard it from a pastor or somebody preaching it or you read it in your Bible, you heard. And hearing, watch this, by the word of God. Your faith comes from the word of God. That's where it comes from. Some of you today are going to hear this message and you're going to be convicted. That means you're, you are going to know. You'll have a strong sense that what I'm saying is for you. That, it, that it's true. You're going to feel it deep in, inside and you're going to respond. I'm going to gratefully receive the truth that Jesus saved my life. And James uses this phrase that I'll, I'll explain to describe uh, this first fruit, what it means, because a lot of us, we don't understand that context. We don't grow our own foods. We don't raise our own animals, but they did. The people that, he was, that James was talking to, they understood that. And as a result, what, whatever they raised, whatever they grew, they gave God a first part of it. They gave him the first fruits. And they, they said it wasn't just about 10%. This is also where we get tithing from. But the most important part of the tithe is that we do it first. Why? Because first things honor. It carries honor. And so they did it first. The farmers didn't complain when they got their crop of corn that year. Hey, I am so sad. I've got to give this first part to God. I am sorry. No, God gave it to them in the first place. He blessed them with the ability to grow it. That was their attitude and their perspective. They joyfully returned to him first because he had given it to him in the first place. It was a first fruit. And this act of worship is based on what God did for us, that he gave us Jesus. He gave it to us first, and he gave us his best. He didn't give us the worst that was in the crop. You give your best and you do it first, and he gave us Jesus. 
In other words, Jesus, before he got his, the nails pierced in his hands and he hung upon the cross, didn't say, hey, is anybody out there going to get saved if I do this? Oh my God. <laughs> nah. He laid down his life first before anybody placed their faith in him. He said, I'm going to do this. It's a shift in our attitude. We need to realize that God saved us. And when you realize that God saved you, and how much love he has expressed for you, your only reasonable response is to love him back. And you know what? When you love, sin's not an issue anymore. You know that? I love my wife. Do you know what's not an issue? Infidelity. I don't have a problem with that. Because when I am tempted, I'm like, uh-uh, she's going to cut me. And I love her. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. It, that, that's not the thing. You say, you're going to tell me you're not tempted to cheat? I didn't say that. What I said is that it's easy to turn away from temptation because I'm in love with her. Hmm. And it's the same with God. When you love him, it is easy to turn away from sin. It becomes a delight not rooted in duty. We gladly surrender our lives to him because he surrendered his all for us. He gave it first and he gave it best and we do likewise. It's an attitude and the Bible contains the truths that save us so we receive it with joy and gratefully Take all that it has for us. And James pivots. He's like, okay, so you're saved, but your journey doesn't stop there, which is where a lot of Christians stop. He's like, nope, it doesn't stop there. He instructs them next to humbly accept the truth that confronts them. Oh, this is the one where we don't like it. This is the, uh, the big dang James section, okay? This is the one where he gets in our business. We say, why would, why would he say humbly accept it? Well, because a lot of us have pride, and our pride is rooted in what we think is correct what we think is best. But I'm gonna tell you something. You can't look at your current world and your context and your circumstances and decide what's good for you and what's not. God does that. You can't say, well, God didn't mean that for me today. Life isn't like that anymore, but that's what our pride sounds like. We get confronted by something in God's word and go, no thanks, it's not for me. That doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. And James says, no, you can't do that. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, which we're not, slow to speak, and we're not, and slow to become angry. We're not. None of us are good at that. None of us. Dang James. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness or the right way of living that God desires for you. He said, therefore, get rid of all moral filth yep. and the evil that is so prevalent and don't get an attitude about it is basically what he's saying when he says, humbly accept the word planted in you because it can save you. God is always right, my friends. He never lies. The only one that's lying to you is the enemy, Satan. He speaks his native language of lies every time he speaks. That's all he does. He lies. God's word is true, and we need to humbly accept it, especially when it confronts us and, and clashes with what we actually want. Because our desires can be off. Our desires can be sinful. There's going to be a time when you read your Bible, and it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks, and you're going to go, uh-oh, and you're not going to want that. I don't yike that kind, Jesus. I don't want this for me. I'm a little unsure about it. But you got a decision to make in that moment. Do you believe God's word is true or don't you? Do you or not? Will you base your life on it when it isn't comfy for you? Will you submit when it goes against your will and your wants and your desires? And James tells us to humbly accept it. Don't cherry pick. 
Don't say this is good for me and this is bad for me. Even if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, you are serving some kind of God which is directing your life. Could be that sex is your God. Could be that your addiction is your God. It could be that your career or your success or your education or maybe the American dream is your God. And understand that whatever is your God is what drives your life. Look at whatever your life is organized around. And if it's organized around your drug usage, it is your God. If it's organized around you getting to your screens or your social media, it is your God. Oh. It's your God. Your own desires, your own way. Paul talks about it and it says it's your stomach. It is your cravings. It is your desires become your God. Timothy Keller, a pastor that I love, he's an author and a pastor that I love to read. So many books of his on my shelf, and he passed away here recently, said this. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. God's word will confront you, and when it does, you'll either resist it or you'll humbly accept it. Now, this word accept, it's originally written in Greek, and it's the word dekomai. And dekomai means to welcome like a stranger. In other, in other words, it means you don't know him. Stranger shows up at your door, and you're like, come on in. I don't know what you want or who you are or what you're all about, but come on in. Let's have a drink. Let's get a coffee. He says, he says accept my word that way. See, God's not a God who is busy waiting on you to understand what he has for you before you accept it. God is a taste and see kind of God. He's a God that, hey, you're not going to understand this until you accept it and put it into practice. Understanding will come. But my word, my truth, accept it like a stranger. That's the only way. If you don't accept it that way and just go, you know what? I'm unfamiliar with this. This doesn't sound great, but if you've got it for me, I want it, so come on in. God's called us to accept it, to decamai it. Paul used it in 1 Thessalonians 2. He said, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, you decamai it, you accepted it, you welcomed it into your life like a stranger. You accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul said, hey, if you don't welcome this like a stranger, it just doesn't work. God's not waiting on us to get understanding. He wants us to trust him and to put it into practice. The mark of a God-changed heart is that I like God telling me how to live. I like it. I gratefully receive God's word because it saved me, and I humbly accept it when it confronts me. And here's the last idea of this section of verse, is to intently embrace the truth that guides me. He said intently. You look up the word intently, and it means with earnest and eager attention. Do you know what, what I could summarize that word and say? Intentionality. To look at God's word with intentionality. So I'm going to look at God's word for salvation. I'm also going to let it confront me. And those are the moments when you're like, uh-oh. Like, I didn't know that was coming. But also, hey, let's look into this thing with intention. What else has he got in there for us? What else do you got for my marriage? You confronted me about my finances. What do you got for my parenting? What do you got for my attitude? What do you got for my career? What do you got from my relationships? Intently looking into God's word to let it guide us. James 22, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. A lot of us know stuff about the Bible, but we don't know it intimately because we're not living it. It's not until we begin to live it that we begin to experience God's blessing. I'm getting ahead of myself. 
He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. Pause. James is comparing God's word to a mirror. I don't know about you. Have you ever walked up to a mirror before? This is common to my experience, that I walk up to a mirror after having spent all day thinking I look fly and find out that I got a big zit on the end of my nose. Anybody experience that? See, he says that God's word is that way. That moment's not fun. You want to ask yourself, like, how long has it been there? All day. That's how you know if you got real friends, by the way, because they'll tell you. And your wife will pop it for you. You know what I'm saying? Just come at you with two fingers, and you're like, what are you doing? You got a zit right there on your end of your nose. Can we use words before we use hands, please? And that record is on repeat at my house. Dang, Shanda. <laughs> For those of you listening, Shanda is my wife's name, and dang, Shanda. Yep, that's what happens. <laughs> Looking into a mirror reveals that things are not as we thought. They just aren't. I, I'm a sur- huge Survivor fan. I love it. And, uh, and we watched all 43, 44 seasons of it this past year, and I just, like, plowed through it. Yep, mm-hmm, I'm that guy. I'm a dog on a bone once I get something I like, man. And uh, one of my favorite things is around day 30, they don't do it every season, but they oftentimes will give them a mirror and a scale because those are two things that reveal things, right? Things that we can't know on our own. And I love watching them look into a mirror on day 30 after barely eating anything and being out in the sun and, and they, oh my God, I am so dirty. Look at my hair. Oh, I've, some of them never seen themselves with a beard before. And, and most of them are always, almost always shocked by how much weight that they've lost. It's shocking. The mirror can be jolting. God's word can be that way sometimes. It'll reveal some things in you that you didn't know was there. And James is inviting us to step up to the mirror anyways. To be there intentionally. To step up to the mirror that is God's word and say, okay, what do you got for me? What, 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 what's in my life? Is there any way that's offensive in me like David prayed? Show me. And in the moment when you're confronted with that kind of stuff in God's word, you've got a decision. You're going to pop that zit? <laughs> you're going to wipe your face? You're going to adjust your clothing? You're going to order them spanks off of Amazon? <laughs> what will you do when you find out things aren't as you thought? James goes on and says, looking at that face in the mirror, and after looking at yourself, you go away and you immediately forget what you look like. Whether it's by choice or by accident, it's easy to do, guys. It's easy to forget, to walk away from what God is showing us in our lives and just forget. He says, but whoever looks intently, when you look with eager attention and earnest, meaning we want to see it, show it all to me. Looking intently, eagerly giving it attention because we know that it's good for us and that we can't wait to let it direct our lives. James says there's a blessing if we do that. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. So in other words, we look into it, We see it, we apply it to our lives, and we continue in it. He says, not forgetting what you've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So what do we do? Here's some quick notes as we wrap up today's service. You ready? Get a paper Bible. Get a paper Bible. Digital is fine. It's fine. But there are are studies that have been done over reading on a digital platform online or on your phone versus reading in a paper book. And you know what they tell you? That you will understand it better when you read in a book, so you'll have better clarity, and your recall is better when you read it in a book. It's something about holding it in your hands and turning a page and following along with your finger. It is the process. It's, it's tactile. 
and it makes a connection deep within you. And listen to me, I want this for you. You need to be able to understand your scripture better and you need to be able to recall it in the moments that you need it most. That's like entering into battle, but you forgot your sword at home. The Bible is the sword of the spirit. Why wouldn't you give yourself the best opportunity for recall possible? Get a paper Bible. They're free over at the Connect Center if you, if you need one today. Stop by and get them. We've got, a, we've got a, I, I, we'll give them away until they're all gone. And if we run out, I'll get some more. We'll have them here. You know another great place to get nice Bibles? Because that one's just a paper one, like, a, like a, a paperback. Go to the thrift store. They've got them for like two bucks. Nice leather bound ones. Really nice Bibles. Go to half price books if you can't afford like a brand new one from somewhere. Don't stop making excuses for this thing. Get a paper Bible. I, I travel with mine. I didn't take it to Israel because I wasn't sure if it was going to last or make it, right? But Because I love my Bible, and I, I chose to be digital at that moment. But I read on a paper Bible every day. I want you to understand your Bible to recall it. They're free at the Connect Center. Get one. Set aside a time to read, study, and meditate on God's Word. So read it. Study it. In other words, sit down with a pen, with intention, right? If we're doing this intentionally, we believe that God's going to speak to us on a regular basis. And you better have a pen to write down when God speaks to you. Otherwise, you'll be a person who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what you saw. Write it down. Mark up your Bible. Get a highlighter. Get a journal. Look for God every single day. The Bible says the angels have been, have been floating around God for all eternity and past and will forever. And every time they make a revolution of him, they sing holy, holy, holy. And the reason that they do is because they see a new part of God they've never seen before. And if they've been doing that for eternity, you can pick up your Bible every day and learn something new about God. Doesn't matter if you've read the verse before. Will you look intently? Will you look eagerly with faith, believing God has something for you in it? Will you be ready? Showing, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to speak. So read it, study it, and then meditate on it. <laughs> that, that word meditate is kind of like the same, is the same word that you would use for chewing a cow, or chewing your cud, a cow chewing its cud. If you don't know what that is, cow eats, swallows it, and then he verps it back up and says, I want to chew on that some more. <laughs> and then he swallows it, and then he verps it back up. <laughs> chews on it some more. Meditation is that way. As I read my Bible this morning, God spoke to me, gave me a verse, something that was just powerful. And throughout the rest of the day, I'm going to recall it. I might share it with a spouse or with a friend, but I'm going to recall, God, recall that. Maybe even write it down. I used to write them down on index cards and put it in my pocket if God spoke something to me that day. And I'd have it in my pocket. And every time my hand went into my pocket to get to my phone, I'd feel that piece of paper too. And I'd pull it out, I'd look at it, and I'd think about it. I'd put it back. Just 15 seconds. Meditate on God's word. It's too easy to forget. Don't look in the mirror and forget. Be intentional and strive to remember it, to think on it and take it in. And then have a Bible reading plan. There are great Bible reading plans that a lot of us use around here called the One Year Bible. And it's a plan that takes you through the Bible in its entirety in one year. It's a big book, man. A lot of pages. Really teeny tiny, too. And if you get the large print, it's an even bigger book. But you can do it. Some of you are like, well, I've tried a reading plan, but I missed a couple days, and then that piled up, and I didn't have time to go back and read it. If you miss a day, skip it. You'll come back to it next year. You just read today's. Don't worry about that. Don't live under the guilt and shame of, I didn't read it all this year. Listen, you're going to get through it. Just get a plan. My wife and I do something called the Bible Recap, which I love. If you're interested, BibleRecap.com. And essentially what it is, it's a chronological 
Bible reading plan. Because your Bible is not actually printed. Like if you tried to read it from beginning to end like a story, it's not done that way. It's not laid out that way. Your Bible is laid out in categories. And so reading it chronologically, theologians have developed a plan for you so that you can read it as it happened in time, which is really cool to see the full story play out. And so I read my Bible chronologically every year. My wife and I do it. And then there's a podcast that the Bible Recap has. So the plan is on that website, printed out, and I put it in my paper Bible. And then I, I, I listen to a podcast every day. It's about five to seven minutes. And she recaps what I just read. And I love it because she looks for God every day and encourages you to do the same. She has something she calls her God shot. Her name's Tara Lee Cobble. You will learn to love her and know her as TLC. <laughs> or as, as Tara Lee, we affectionately call her in our house. And my wife and I talk about what we read that day. We share with one another, and we just did it yesterday. It was really amazing. I, I was, we were driving down the road, and we were listening to the recap together. And uh, it was in the book of Esther, and I paused it just before she got to her God shot, her moment where she saw God that day. And I said, this was my God shot today. What was yours? And then when Tara Lee said hers, we had the same one. <laughs> I love those days. Self-high five. <laughs> I love my Bible. I want you to love your Bible. I want you to enjoy it. It's good. It's so good. It's so good. Get a plan. You can join us with the Bible Recap. It's awesome. October 1st, I believe, it starts our journey through the New Testament. So we finished the Old Testament. It took most of the year to do it. You can join us October 1st. Get on the Bible reading plan. And then don't just read the Bible. Let the Bible read you. Man, that book is alive, guys. It is alive, and it will speak to your situations right here and now. God did that to me yesterday. That verse that he gave me was speaking directly to a situation I was in, and I wept, and I praised him, and I shared it with some people that are sharing that same situation with me. God spoke into my life. It'll speak into yours, too. It's eerie when it first happens, but then once you come to expect it, it becomes a beautiful thing. That God begins to direct you. And I want you to love your Bible because here's what, what it will produce in you, and you'll love this. James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. In other words, James says, if you keep looking into God's word this way, you'll become a person, a person of justice that cares about speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves, about taking care of the person who is broken beyond what they can bear, becoming a person of justice. And he says, and he goes on, he says, you'll become somebody who's, keeps one, who's one who keeps himself from being polluted by the world. In other words, you'll be a person who cares about justice, and you'll be a person who cares about righteousness, which is the right way to do things. You'll be a person that cares about morality. You'll be a person that cares about honor, integrity, character. These are important things, but they'll be rooted and anchored in God's word. He said, you'll become a person like that. And honestly today, guys, we live in a world that wants to put those two things in opposition to each other. That you either care about those that are oppressed and you care about social justice issues, but you don't really care about how people live. Or you care about what's morally right, but you aren't concerned about the poor and the oppressed. Think about that in the world's context today. It's the left and the right. It's the world who puts us in opposition. It says you're either on this side or you're on this side. But God, in his wisdom, puts them both together. That we can be people of justice, but also people of righteousness. And God wants to do that in your life. And there is a blessing that comes when we have these three attitudes towards God's word. It's important, and we need it in our lives. And I'm out of time, so I need to pray.
Let's get after it. Lord, today, I want them to love their Bibles. I want them to love your word, to understand its value, to understand that it is life, that even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't match our desires, it is still good, and it is good for us, and it will lead to life. It doesn't mean we're not ever going to experience anything bad. It just means that in the midst of a storm, we are anchored to what is truth. And I know the world is trying to cause us to doubt. And so, God, I'm just praying for everybody here today that any, any lies that they have believed or any misunderstandings they have about your word, that you would clear it up as they look into your word. That you would show them those areas that they have been deceived because the world would have us bury truth. But the thing I know about truth is that truth can be crucified. It can be buried. And in three days, it will rise again because you cannot hold truth down. So God, I'm praying. I'm praying for us all to fall in love with your word. To believe it, that it truly is your words. And it is for us. Help us, God. Help us to believe it for our salvation, to believe it for our correction, and to believe that it is for guidance in our lives. We need this. And as we stay in this moment of prayer, I know there's people today, I already told you, you're going to hear the word of God preached. You're going to hear the message of truth preached, and something inside you is stirring. And it's drawing you into relationship with God, and that's what the Spirit of God does. He brings conviction. And right now, if you're sensing that conviction, that God has more for you, and you're ready to step into a relationship with him, and by the way, as imperfectly as the rest of us do it, if you're ready for that, I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna ask you, nobody's looking around, but if you're ready to make that commitment, here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you just let me know? I'm out here looking. Would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me today. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Anybody else, hands up now. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you proud of you. Folks, there's people saying yes to Jesus today. That's what all this is for. So people to make decisions to take a step towards God. And we're all going to pray together, everybody out loud, because nobody prays alone. Pray with me now and repeat these words and just know that it's not the words, it's your heart that believes right now that makes the difference. Paul says, we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord unto salvation. So that's what we're going to do right now. Pray with me. Say, Jesus, I need you and I believe you're the son of God. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, if you want to celebrate with those people that said yes to Jesus today, let's do it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. 
finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship, where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes, or simply visit www.mysimple.church/giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. I hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.